Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome to Maximize Your Influence. Thanks for being here. This is Podcast 208. My name is Kurt Mortensen. Let's get into some skills that'll make a huge difference to make you a power persuader to teach you the skills you should have learned in schools. The skills that could be making you money but not having these skills will cost you a lot of money. In fact, when I was doing research for my book, Persuasion IQ, one of the questions I asked was, we did this thousands, over 10,000 times actually, these Persuasion IQ tests. One of the questions we asked was, how much money have you lost with your inability to persuade? You want to know the average? As we averaged all those together, and this shocked even me, $4.3 million in lost deals, lost relationships, unemployment, not getting others to want to do what you want them to do. So let's get into these skills. Let's learn these. Tell your friends about the podcast. We're at YouTube at Maximize Your Influence and at Facebook at Maximize Your Influence. Of course, you can always reach me at Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. We have all the current podcasts and additional information are at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. And of course, the archives available at InfluenceUniversity.com for the free membership and the Ph.D., you can learn these skills. You can get a new audio and video every week. So for less than a can of soda a day, like that technique called Reduce It to the Ridiculous, you can master these skills. You have access to all the archives. The 52-week programming goes fast or as slow as you want. Every week there's a new tool via video, audio, and report. So check it out, InfluenceUniversity.com. So let's dive into this. I'm a little weary. I'm not at 100%. I've been doing these webinars to Asia. And of course, if you know anything about time zones, that's in the middle of the night. But it's been fun. It's a lot of good, a lot of interaction, a lot of great questions uh, coming from that side of the world. Remember, these persuasion techniques work everywhere. It's always the same potatoes, adjust the gravy. When I was training in Italy, it was the same pasta, just adjust the sauce. So this is human nature works all the way around the world. I've done this in 28 different countries. I'm telling you, it works. In fact, all the research studies we use come from around the world. And so with that, let's talk about the geeky article. This comes from uh, Brittany Kozo, Western Illinois University, Dr. Jack Schaefer from the Like Switch. This one's always interesting. Well, they're always interesting to me. <laughs> Hopefully they're interesting to you about the eyebrow flash. All right, all right, Kurt, what's that? Well, first of all, the eyebrow flash indicates that you're telling the truth, that you like the person. So what an eyebrow flash is, is when your eyebrows go up and down. It's a quick movement, about one-sixth of a second. It's a universal nonverbal friend signal. So when you see somebody, you watch. You see like a double eye flash almost. It means you're not a threat. So if you're doing it, they'll reciprocate to you or vice versa. And that way we know neither one's a threat. And so what they found is that the eyebrow flash decreased when there's a threat... And what that means to you is not that you're a threat, but if they get caught in a lie, that's a threat. So liars tend to do so liars tend to not do the eyebrow flash, especially when they're feeling tense or they might get caught. See, when people are in the comfortable situation, there's rapport, they tend to eyebrow flash more. So that means truthful people are flashing more, but when people lie, they feel discomfort. They don't actually believe what they're talking about, fear of discovery, there's a threat there. 
the flashes go down. They indicate deception. So this deceptive eyebrow flash is either non-existent or it's slower. Now, they did talk about in the study about there, there was an exception. If you're talking about a traumatic event or something that scared you, that you won't be flashing in that situation. But usually you're looking for the flash to know that there's a connection. Now, remember we talked about detecting deception in the past, especially dealing with rude people. That's in an episode 119. If you want to go to the archives at influenceuniversity.com and take a look at that, that'll help you out. We're not going to focus on that, but those are some things that can help you out. The thing I want to tell you is that you're looking for clusters. Just because they're not flashing at you doesn't mean they're lying, but if you're not getting the flash and they're taking up more space and they're starting to perspire and they're touching their face more, I mean, you'll have to take a look at those other shows. That could mean deception. So try it out. You know, when you're approaching somebody, do a double flash. Practice out in the mirror. It might seem kind of cheesy, but try it out. When you get that double flash, you watch them reciprocate when they know there's not a threat, especially with the people you know very, very well. The eyebrow flash. Isn't that one interesting? That can make a huge difference in your ability to connect with people and also the science of NLP and mirror and matching. So let's go to maximize your influence, a listener email. Here's the sound we've been using. This comes from Judy from Austin, Texas. So we'll keep your last name anonymous here. Here it is, and I'm going to be brief here because it's actually probably a couple pages. But it says, Kurt, thanks for doing your weekly podcast. My sales have tripled this year based on your trainings and Influence University. Oh, Judy, thanks for the plug. You talked about closing skills a few weeks ago on the podcast. Can you review how we know if it's a true objection or a lie? Seems that I'm either solving the wrong objection sometimes or solving it the wrong way with some of my prospects. Judy, great question. Let's answer it there. And again, for those who want their questions answered on the show, Kurt, K-U-R-T at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. So there's two things we're looking here. Okay, is it a true objection or what I call a knee-jerk objection, which you called a lie? And I say knee-jerk reaction because sometimes it is a knee-jerk reaction. They don't even know they're lying. They're just making some up because they just subconsciously feeling like they need to resist. And then the second part here is how's the proper way to solve an objection? All right, take notes or mental notes if you're driving. First of all, we need to talk about, okay, why do people buy? They have to buy for their reasons. They don't want to be sold. You got to get in their shoes. It's usually to save money or make money. I mean, there's some top reasons why people buy your product or service. And you know that ahead of time. One of the top five reasons people buy your product or service. That's a critical factor. The next one is your call to action or your close. We talked about a few weeks ago. What is that close? Your call to action, I like to call it. And here's what you really need to understand about that is that first of all, when you create a presentation to influence or to sell, you need to do the call to action first. What do you want them to do? What is the main thing you want them to do? And then create your whole presentation around that. Because if it surprises them and you ask them to do something, you've blown the presentation. Make it quick and easy. That's important. They know exactly what you want them to do. And don't change demeanor. Okay, Kurt, what's that? Well, this is a big complaint, actually, as I interview people, is that you are doing a presentation, your people skills, being fun, being friendly, and you get to the close, the call to action, like, oh, no, this is it, I can ask for the money. And your demeanor changes, and you freak them out. They're like, where's people person? Who's this new person? No, you're closing the whole time. It shouldn't surprise them that you're asking them to do something. And know also that most persuaders are talking three times too much. They're saying too much. Too many presentations I've monitored when I hear, oh, well, great, how do I get started? Oh, I haven't finished my presentation yet. Hold on. Hello? They just gave you a buying signal. It's time to shut up and move on. Can we install this next week? Can we get it in blue? 
Bru <laughs> Hello? Shut up. Why would you want to suck the life out of them until they don't want to do it or you've given them reason not to do it? Because when you see facial expressions relaxed, they keep looking at paperwork, maybe approving glances between partners, that spark in their eye, they're leaning closer, their head's nodding up and down. Shut up. Be done. Be done. You've already persuaded them. You're saving time. Don't keep talking. You know, if they're over the phone, you might hear, oh, that's a good deal. That's not expensive. Well, I could see how I implement that. That would save us a lot of money. Or they ask you about specific terms or warranties. They want demonstrations, references, delivery dates. I mean, you're close. Time to wrap things up. You don't need to keep vomiting on them. Be done. And also learn to love questions. Learn to love objections. They indicate interest. And they show you how to modify your presentation. That's important. Because sometimes we're like, oh, I just talked about that. Uh-oh, here it comes. Those are challenges. You should love these things. If they ask no questions or objections, that's what you should hate. Another interesting thing that research has shown, and sit down for this one, is the objection you get the most is the objection you still have. And again, you're like, okay, what does that mean? Meaning if you don't believe your product is worth it, you're going to keep getting it's too expensive. If you have other challenges or issues or, or particular objection scares you, you're going to keep getting it. I can't explain why. It's just what the research is showing that you're going to get the objections that you have or that scare you the most. You need to do a little more research. Look at testimonials. Be a product of the product. Figure out how to do that so you don't get that. Love objections. Be ready for objections. Like we talked about a few weeks ago, understand exactly what you need to do to solve these. And realize, too, that when you get these objections, you don't have to handle them right away. Some objections you never want to handle. If they're, say, something off the wall, makes no sense, kind of dumb, just a mean comment, don't deal with it. Usually you'll handle them right away, otherwise they might get upset or angry, or you can put them off. Says, so, you know, I'm going to handle 99% of your objections during the presentation. Like, it's a great question, let me create a foundation of thank you for asking that. Or sometimes we've talked about inoculation, handling it before. So go to the archives to find out about inoculations. That's pre-solving objections before they happen. So the goal here, the two questions, I'm getting to this, I want to create a foundation here. Judy, I'm getting to your question. So the first one, of course, was... A true objection or knee-jerk reaction or a lie. Now, this happens when they can't see themselves doing it. We've talked about in the past that if they can't see themselves doing it, it's not going to happen. They have to visualize it happening. So how do you know if it's a knee-jerk reaction? That's the first thing you do because nothing sucks the life out of the persuasion process than you solving the wrong objection, <laughs> okay? It doesn't help. It's not their objection. You go into autopilot like, oh, it's too expensive. Well, let me tell you, compared to what? And that wasn't the issue at all. So you've got to dig a little deeper here. So the first question you got to ask yourself is, did it make sense? Because sometimes they're just off the wall or you just covered it. Does it make sense? For example, a few weeks ago, I was training real estate investors on, on objections. And one of the things they do is they find other people to train to do real estate. So when they talk about making an extra $50,000 a year doing real estate part-time, they might say, well, yeah, but it took you an extra five hours a week. Okay. An extra five hours a week for $50,000 a year for most people is a pretty good deal. That makes no sense at all. One of those could be, well, I just don't have the time. And you know they have the time. Well, yeah, but if you do it that way, you have to stay in front of your computer. Okay, again, that makes no sense. If you're making, if it's making no sense, they either see themselves doing it or they don't believe they can make an extra $50,000 a year or maybe they don't trust you. Or they might say something like, yeah, but you have to deal with renters. Uh, okay, so for an extra fifty dollars to $100,000 a year, A, you can deal with renters. B, you can turn it to someone else. C, you can hire someone else. D, there's companies that will do it for you. Or they'll say, yeah, but it's risky. Okay, you've already proven it's not risky. Here's the system. Here are the 100 people who have done it. It's just a knee-jerk reaction. So that's the first thing. Does it make sense? 
So that's the first one, relevance. Didn't make sense at all. Another thing we've noticed in research too is eye contact. When people tend to lie or make something up, they're going to usually look to the side or maybe up. Some will look down depending on their, their meta program. It's, a, it's another training. But eye contact's going to change. They're going to look away and look back to you. You're going to notice that the instant they lie. You're also going to notice that they're not interested in the solution. They don't care. It doesn't matter what you say or do. They're stuck. They keep coming up with things because they can't see themselves doing it. Or there's a trust issue there. you got to really take a deep dive and take a look at what is it. Is it you? Is it your presentation? It could be something you've already explained they keep bringing up. That's one. And if it just surprises you, I mean, where did that come from? So the key thing is asking more questions. Well, why do you say that? What does that mean? Have you had experiences with that before? What does the perfect solution look like to you to really dig here? You've heard it before. Answer a question with a question. But you got to train your brain to do that because we're all excited to solve this objection or question. That you're solving the wrong one. It's not even what they really meant. And sometimes in their brain, they're not even sure what their objection is. They're just feeling a little nervous on the inside. So those are things you're looking for, Judy, as you look through the different aspects of objections. Because that's the first part of your question. The second one is, what is the proper way to solve an objection? Let me give you a formula system. I'm all about the formula and the system. So this is what you do. I'll give you some steps here. First thing you have to ask yourself is, can you solve it? Okay, what's that? Well, if you're talking to a company, it could be any company, and they're really interested, they want to do it, and it's exciting, and they say they can't afford it, but they just went bankrupt a week earlier, you can solve that and it's time to move on. I mean, that's the first thing you can do. Is this something we can solve? So once you've decided that in your mind, you've got to make sure that you let them finish. We've talked about this. We talked a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it all the time. Let them finish the objection. Let them finish the question. I know you've heard it a hundred times. I know you got a great answer. I know you think it's good time management to cut them off, but it's not. If you want to persuade them, let them finish. Pause. And then restate it. Because what that does is it clarifies it in your mind, gives you time to think about the right answer, but it also clarifies it in their mind because they might say, no, not quite, because they're not even sure what their main objection is. So that's important. Restate. So what you're saying is, what you mean is, you're trying to dig a little deeper here. And then I always say, always compliment. Thank you for answering. I don't care if you talked about it five minutes earlier. They're the dumb ones that didn't listen. They should have never asked that. What a waste of my time. No, 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 no. Always compliment. I thank you. Appreciate that for asking. I apologize. Get this. I apologize. I should have explained that better. Don't bruise their esteem. Take ownership. Compliment them because A, you haven't bruised their self-esteem, which that's one of the 12 laws of persuasion and maximum influence. B, you keep the door open. They know you want questions because nothing's worse than no questions or objections. If they keep silent, how can you solve that? And don't be condescending as you answer that. You're like, Kurt, I'm never that way. Well, truly, are you? I've monitored a lot of persuaders that are. Just the way you answer it. You're like, oh, there it is again. Oh, they're the dumb ones. Don't be condescending the way you answer it and say, look, I didn't get this for a long time. And that's one of the top objections I get. And don't be condescending. Keep the door open. And with that, meaning give them room to save face. You know, that's great. Most people don't get it. That's okay. I should have explained it better. Don't back them in a corner. Don't make them feel dumb. Let them know that you want it. It's not bothering you. Your demeanor's not changing. That is key factor to your success. That is the key way to solve the right objection. Once you know it is a true objection. And a couple final things to bring it all together is, is I've interviewed people when they're in the persuasion process. I want to ask them what makes a great persuader. What is that you're really looking for? What do you like? The people that you're purchasing from, the people that you're negotiating with, the people that you like to do business with, what is it about those people? 
And a couple interesting things came up. One is they kept their promises. Does it, if you say you're going to send an email that day or have it by the end of the week or a deadline, you've got to keep your promises. Being dependable came up. Well-trained came up. Being genuine and sincere. And the next one, they don't argue with me as part of objections and questions. When you're truly a listener, a truly consultant, and you're not arguing, and you're not being condescending, that makes a big difference. They want to do business with you. They know they can ask you questions. You become the consultant. You become the paid consultant. That's what they talk about. And they continue on, says they provide solutions that work. They take 100% responsibility. They don't blame the economy or coworkers or other companies. They'd be able to do that. They stand behind their products. They're honest. And here's an interesting one. The final one that came up is they're entertaining. They're fun to be around. It's a treat to have the visits. It's those are things to think about as you work with people. But I wanted to point out the ones here that are important. Being well-trained, being sincere and genuine, being a friend, never arguing is all about answering the questions and objections and doing it the right way. So again, critical keys here, Judy. First of all, is it a true objection or knee-jerk reaction? You find that out through reading body language or vocal tones. You're finding that out by asking additional questions that we've talked about, that's going to be critical. Then solve the objection in the right way, in the right order. Remember, remember, remember. It's the first time they voiced it. Let them finish. Handle it in the right way. Give them room to save face. Don't back them into a corner. Keep the door open for more objections and questions. They are good. They help you out. They help you modify your presentation. They indicate interest. There's nothing worse than nothing, a blank stare. And you say, are there any questions? They're like, nope. Well, you're interested? Well, nope. Or I need to think about it. And you're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? You've blown your presentation. And that's a big challenge with what you are doing. So, Judy, hopefully that answers your questions and all the other people out there and maximize your influence. Let other people know about the podcast. Share it with everybody. It doesn't bother me at all. I want you to do that. My goal is to teach you the skills you should have learned in school, right? Anywhere they should have taught you these skills. Because I want you to go out and use these skills, maximize your influence, persuade with power. And just along the way, just go out and make the world a better place. 